Good evening. I'd like to welcome everyone to our service tonight. First song will be number nine. Number nine. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold, life flows before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. All thy works with joy surround thee, earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, fell and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea. Chanting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. Mortals join the mighty chorus which the morning stars began. Father, love is reigning o'er us. Brother, love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us onward in the triumph song of life. Our song for opening prayer be number 17. Number 17. Brother Dennis Poole will lead our opening prayer after this song. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah, from the heavens praise his name. Praise Jehovah in the highest, all his angels praise proclaim, all his hosts together praise him, sun and moon and stars on high. Praise him, O ye heaven of heavens, and ye floods above the sky. Let them praise his gift, Jehovah, for his name alone is high, and his glory is exalted, and his glory is exalted. And his glory is exalted for above the earth and sky. Let them praise his gift, Jehovah. They were made at his command. Then forever he established his decree. 
decree shall ever stand from the earth, O oh, praise Jehovah, O oh, ye floods, ye dragons all, fire and hell and snow and vapors, stormy winds that hear him call. Let them praises give to And his glory is exalted above the earth and sky. All ye fruitful trees and cedars, all ye hills and mountains high, creeping things and beasts and cattle, birds and in the Judges all. Praise his name, young men and maidens, aged men and children small. Let them praise his gift, Jehovah, for his name alone is high, and his glory is exalted. And his glory is exalted, and his glory is exalted far above the earth and sky. Let us pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, Holy and righteous is your name in all of heaven and earth, in all of your creation. We humbly bow in your presence this evening to thank you for this day. We thank you for all the blessings that you give us. We're thankful that you're a loving and merciful God and bless us with our every need and much more. We come at this time, Father, to pray for the forgiveness of our sins. We strive daily to to do your will, but sometimes our fleshly bodies fail. Please forgive us, Father, and help us always to be forgiving to one another. We're thankful that we can be here tonight. We're thankful that Brother Cantrell has decided to be with us this week, and we pray that you be with him as he breaks into us the bread of life. And as we feast on your word, Father, we Pray that we will gain the spiritual strength we need to, to be strong and look to you for all the guidance we need and we can avoid those things that are out to, out to destroy us. We pray for our country. We pray for our elected officials. We pray that they might do the things that will keep us safe. We know that there are powers out in the world that are out to destroy our freedoms, 
we just pray that they'll make the decisions that will keep us safe and we can always be free to assemble openly as we are here tonight. And Father, we want to pray for all of our sick and shut in. We have so many on our list. We know, Father, that some of them would be here tonight if they were able. We pray that your special healing on them. And some of those, Father, that are on our list are not yours, but they touch this family here. We pray for their healing also so that they might have other opportunities to turn to you while there is yet time. Be with us tonight, Father. Help us to listen attentively to what's said. And we pray that we'll all be strengthened by this lesson. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. like to mark your songbooks, our song of invitation after lesson be number 607, 607. Before the lesson, stand and sing number 72. Number 72. I know that my Redeemer lives in ever praise for me. Well, I'm going to tell them one more time. You can sit down for a minute. We really enjoyed getting to know John and Jennifer and Ella yesterday. John's a big kidder. So uh, we've enjoyed uh, his presentations and his lessons. He's from South Harpeth, um, been there 15 years. He said, well, what do I have to do to stay somewhere 20 years? I said, I don't know. Ask Stroudsville. They could tell you. But uh, they've been patient with me. But... Uh, 
We appreciate John's work. He's a bivocational minister. He actually works for the county property assessor in, in Nashville. Um, but uh, we appreciate the family. They're so sweet. Uh, yesterday, John started off in, in John 3, and um, he talked to us about Jesus and Nicodemus. And then uh, for the sermon, he, he talked about what is a disciple. And then last night, we looked more at John 3.16. We look forward to another great lesson tonight. So we'll turn the podium over to our brother John. Look forward to another good lesson. I, coming to be with you all on a Monday is absolutely amazing. Thank you for being here. Thank you for that wonderful meal. I just was thinking earlier today, this is, this is what first century, we, we preach this in Acts, in Acts when, they, when they met daily and they broke bread from house to house and they, and they broke the apostles' doctrine, if you will, uh, as often as they could. They were preaching and teaching this is just an amazing, amazing uh, assembly. Uh, I don't say this in an arrogant way, but a very humble way. We had spent all day with you all yesterday, and we just went, did something very simple and went and got gas, and I had to go in to get a receipt. And I just thought, wow. They, they were just normal people doing normal things, but it was just such a difference. And it's just so extraordinary to be with you all. And I just want to make sure you know just how amazing, what an amazing thing you all got going on. The unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. And I just, it's just a, just the prayers and the, and the songs and the heart here. Uh, the men who have led the prayers have touched my heart so very much. Thank you. You say things that I wish I, that, that I need to say that I haven't said in a while. And... The humility here, it just makes me want to be more humble, more godly, and this has been such a, just such a blessing to me, so thank you. And I, I wanna, don't want to take up any more of my time because y'all will not like me if I go over, and I can't see the clock because it's all, y'all have atmosphere lighting in here, and I can't see the clock, so I'm going to go on this. Okay, what? I can't, hold on, I can't see you, I can't see you. John chapter 3, again, starting with verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his unique Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent his Son into the world, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. As we continue our study here of of John chapter 3, and as we pick up more or less where we left off, which was in part in John 3 and verse 16, maybe the most familiar or one of the more familiar texts, in all of Holy Writ. Uh, 
And most of us and most of the world think that John 3.16 is so very easily understood, and yet I will say that we probably could make a whole gospel meeting just on that one verse and still not exhaust every doctrinal principle that is there. Most read John 3.16 and they say, that's the gospel, not these doctrinal arguments about justification and regeneration and sanctification. Perhaps a Jew like Nicodemus thought that the main function of Christ would be to come and to judge, to condemn. Even today there are are some that hold a view that God is a condemning God, that Jesus is a condemning Savior, that God is ready to condemn. And so it is amazing, and as we uh, certainly ask the text, we don't... Uh, we can ask the text questions that we would a- want asked. Not, they don't always answer them. But we ask the text uh, when certainly there's a proper way to handle the text as far as what we can ask it and not ask it. And I think you understand what I mean by that. But it is amazing to me how Scripture is set up in such a way, the Spirit inspired the, the writers in such a way to even address uh, modern-day issues that we may have. And it's just, it's, it's such a good reminder that it is a living document. John doesn't want us to be left with just verse 16. There are some things that we would misunderstand if he did not go on. And so he adds, verse 17, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The heart of God is the heart of love. And we spoke about that last night. Once somebody is okay with that, once somebody understands that aspect of it, I I thought that God was a condemning God. I thought that he was just like a police officer in a speed trap just ready to pull me over the second I did something wrong. We say, well, I've got it now. We've got nothing to worry about now. All is well. Everyone will be saved. Everything will work out in the end. And so to combat that issue, then we have this very next verse, verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. These verses, of course, are really extensions uh, for the standpoint of our study of of verse 16. And so I want to spend just a little bit of time that we have together just extracting some principles that we can take from these verses, and especially verse 18, 17 and 18 especially. First, we are not taught uh, in these verses a plan of universal salvation. Many hold to this view. They may not say it that way. They may not understand what that means if if I say that. If I say you're a universalist, they may not understand, but that's what they hold on to. Not too terribly long ago, several months ago now, uh, we had a neighbor who was about to move, and it prompted me to just think through, and, and I just uh, got up the courage that I should have gotten before, and I shared the gospel. And we had a very long conversation, a couple hours long, on the porch, standing up, 
uh, talking through the gospel. He held strongly to the view that God is love. No one will ever be punished. He denied the surety of the coming judgment. He denied the existence of hell. God so loved the world, therefore we're all going to be saved. It doesn't matter what one does. All will be forgiven and overlooked in the end. For these people, the love of God equates to permissiveness. And what they don't understand, like I said yesterday, I believe, is that so often we function, Lord, let my will be done in heaven as, as I do it on earth. And, and it would just be, heaven would be a hell to that person if they went to heaven and realized their will is not done. It is only the Lord's will that is done. How long would they last? These would never attend a gathering like this one. They would never study a biblical text. They just know that they know all will be forgiven. All will be okay in the end. It's the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. And John in his gospel combats this by showing us that there are two he's. There are two he's. He who believes and he who does not believe. He who believes and he who does not believe. There is a great division that is taught just in that. A great division. He, he, believes, believes not. Those are two very distinct persons. Back in verse 16, we see the same implication. Whosoever believes shall have everlasting life. And by implication, whosoever does not believe shall perish. And of course, perish is not annihilation. Perish is the opposite of everlasting life. Truly, all of us have everlasting life. It's just a matter of where will we spend that everlasting life. Nothing is taught by the Spirit in Scripture to indicate that God considers humanity a mass. God doesn't consider us in a group. When it comes to our judgment one day, we will be judged individually. And we we may have mentioned this last night, but let me touch on it again. God so loved the world. And someone can say, well, I'm a part of that world. I'm okay because I'm a part of the world that God loved. That's not the case. God doesn't deal with us as a race. He doesn't deal with us as a nation. We're saved as individuals. We're saved one by one. Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life, those who find it are few. Think of it as a turnstile. We go in one by one. God doesn't deal with us as families or groups. When we talk about, and you understand what I mean, I hope, I'm not saying there is no called out assembly. I don't mean that. I just mean when it comes to belief, when it comes to coming to faith, we do that individually. Each of us has to understand. Each of us has to be pricked in our heart. Each of us has to believe, uh, including obedient, saving faith. God has no grandchildren. 
we may grow up in the church. That doesn't make us a Christian. Our grandmother and grandfather may be salt of the earth. That does not mean a thing to us. God only has children, no grandchildren. It's he, whosoever, it's individualistic, it's individual, it's personal, it's direct. We aren't born in crowds, we don't die in crowds, nor will we meet God at the judgment as a crowd. We have uh, some sweet folks at South Harpeth. Ruby Tidwell is one of them. And I often joke with her. I say, Ruby, I just want to be behind you at the judgment and God will be in such a good mood, I'll just sneak on in and he won't pay any attention. But that's not how it happens, is it? So be careful when you're trying to go along with or follow the crowd. Because the crowd will not answer for you. You won't be able to blame the crowd. This means that humanity is divided into two groups. He that believes in him is not condemned. He that believes not is condemned already. Each of us tonight belong to either one or the other. It's not a little bit and a little bit. It's one or the other. Do I believe in Christ or have I not believed in Christ? I'm not a little bit in one and a little bit in the other. And this is the only thing that matters in the world tonight. This is the ultimate reality. We talk about, well, you know, out in the real world, like me going into the gas station yesterday, in the real world, that's not the real world. This is the real world. What you have in here is a foretaste of the real world, of reality. We are... Uh, I was at my eye doctor this morning, and he was telling me about the sermon that he had heard yesterday, and uh, such a great point about what if instead of saying we are human, we're just human, what if we thought we are spiritual, going through a human existence instead of human only or human headed for a spiritual existence? Tonight, you're in one of those two categories, believe or believe not. And what matters tonight is not political or social or racial or economic. There's something much more important and fundamental than those things. One who gets excited about those things, the political, the socioeconomic, what's happening in the news, what's happening uh, in politics, the list can go on and on. The one who gets excited about these is showing us his misunderstanding of seeing life through the lens of the gospel. Uh, Tom and I were talking at dinner tonight uh, about uh, a funeral that I did. I was telling him we were still standing uh, as the grave was being filled in by the the staff there at the cemetery and already under the tent, Uh, one lady uh, was talking with another lady, pulled out her phone and started talking about blinds, I think it was blinds or curtains, that she was wanting, uh, and what did this other person's opinion, and tell me about this, and let me explain that, and let me hear from you on that. Think about the implication of, this is going to be me one day. Think about, beyond the respect that we have for what is happening, just the, the... brevity of that moment. Some people uh, just tremble 
And if you do funerals, uh, or if you go to funerals, or in, in a situation like we're in where we are preaching a funeral, the ones who are not prepared, the ones who have not gone through services like this and heard the gospel, they're very hesitant to even come in. Many of them will not stay uh, the whole time. I've seen it happen many times. The one who gets excited about those things shows a little bit of who they are. They, they aren't born again. Let's face it, they are not born from above. That doesn't make us better than them. It just is a difference. You're in one of two groups. And I can get uh, out of you which group you're in just by talking about that which is spiritual. Do you change the subject? I've had many people tell me, whoa, 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 that's all, that's all that I, wanna, I want. Stop talking about that. Instead of seeing ourselves under God, we only deal with the human level. There's only one division under God, the condemned, the not condemned, the sheep, the goats, the narrow, the broad, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light, those who are headed for heaven, those who will go to hell. When we declare that this is the ultimate division, and when we declare that we believe in the love of God, understand that the one talking to Nicodemus was the incarnation of that love. The one talking to Nicodemus was the, the definition of love. Was God in the flesh? And this is John in the course of a conversation recording. And, and again, we're not sure where he ends, where Jesus' words end and John's pick up. But wherever it is, if you will, in the conversation to Nicodemus, here is the one who is the love In the flesh, God in the flesh. Do you know more about the love of God than he does? Here is the Spirit testifying through John. You won't be saved, not all of you. Some of you will, but not all of you will. Not because God picks some and doesn't pick others, but because some will believe and some will not. Salvation is conditional. He that believes, he that believes not not condemned, condemned. There's no such thing as universal salvation. It is impossible to be an unbeliever in the name of, in the, name of the Son and be saved and not be condemned. In other words, it is impossible if I am not a believer in Jesus to be in any category other than condemned. So, First of all, let me say, which group do you find yourself in? And if I'm speaking primarily to the called out, to the church, to the assembly tonight, which group do you find your loved ones? Who in your life tonight, as you sit here and ponder this, do you think there is somebody very special to me that I want to spend eternity with, that I want to see in eternity? Whatever that is like, It is ultimately the best existence possible and forever and ever without end, amen, everlasting life. Where do you want that person to spend that time where there is no time? 
Another principle that we can deduce here is that while it is true that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, make no mistake about it, Jesus coming into the world is a condemnation. He's not been sent to judge, but the fact that he did come is judgment. How is that possible? My response to Jesus and his revelation and his message reveals my belief concerning a lot of things, not just Jesus. It, can, it, it reveals my belief concerning God and myself and sin and my eternal destiny. Whether I believe in Jesus or not says so much more. To tell me that you don't believe in Jesus is also by default to tell me that you don't believe or you do believe in all of these matters what you do or don't believe. The one is blinded by his ignorance and sin that does not believe in Jesus. Ignorant of these matters and ignorant of the consequences that not believing in Jesus carries. It's like being at a grave and saying, do you not understand? One day you will be here unless the Lord comes again. Are you ready? There are no blinds in heaven. Children are fascinated by fire. And they want to play with it, don't they? All children want to play with it. We know that because we wanted to play with it as well. But they don't understand the consequences of being burned. And so we build things up so that they are not harmed by that. We watch them carefully when they are around a fire. Jesus incarnating and doing what he is doing is judging every single one of us. Because our reaction to him confirms what we are. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but we already stood condemned. We read that yesterday multiple times, and again, John 3.36 makes that very clear. We already stood condemned because we were all sinners. We have broken God's law. We had no hope outside of Christ. Christ incarnated to provide salvation for us as the only way that we could be saved. And the very nature of the coming of Christ is a condemnation to all of us. And if we reject the only way of escape, there is nothing left for us but to remain lost and to be condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the unique Son of God. Like we said yesterday, you're in a burning house. The fire truck ladder is extended to a window, and it becomes your judgment. Will you go over that rail and go out the window and climb down the ladder, or will you burn? The ladder is a judgment in that one it recognizes you're in a burning building. And the latter is a judgment in that it's my only way of escape. John chapter 12, such a powerful verse that we all need to keep in mind. John chapter 12 and verse 47. 
If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. What is that judge, Jesus? I thought the judge was you, and you're telling me you are not going to judge me. Well, then who is going to be my judge? The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. See, Jesus in the flesh was subservient to the Father. But now all authority has been given to him. And one day he will, in the, in the fullness of time, he will then return and he will return the kingdom to the Father. And at that time when we are judged, we will be judged not by anything but the words of Jesus, the words, the words, the words that we read here. These spirit-inspired words. We need to make another deduction. How do I make the one who didn't come to condemn me a condemnation? How do I do that? Jesus did not come to condemn me. How do I make him then my condemnation? Well, I, I will say the answer to that seems to be by holding a wrong view of him. If I hold a wrong view of the Christ, then I make him my condemnation. If I view Jesus as just a good moral teacher, which many people in the world do, I don't have much time to go to that church house and worship and sing and do all that primitive stuff, whatever y'all do, share a bunch of germs. Uh, Jesus was, he was okay. He was a moral teacher. And if you consider him a moral teacher, you make him your condemnation. Look at the greatest moral teaching maybe ever to be heard and ever to be read, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe the greatest moral teaching ever. If we open that up and we read through it, the great moral teaching, if we could all live by that, but the one outside of Christ, the one who has not been born from above. When they go to some great moral teaching that Jesus presented, make him the condemnation simply because who can keep the moral teaching of Jesus? Quite frankly, we talked last night about the Ten Commandments. We can't even keep the Ten Commandments, something much lower and much easier to keep than the Sermon on the Mount. You say, John, why is that? Why are you saying that? Well, the Sermon on the Mount dealt with what? It dealt with the heart. It dealt with what was on the inside. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, if you lust after someone in your heart. You've heard it said, do not murder, but I say, if you have anger, if you have hatred, 
It's at the heart level. We can't even keep the Ten Commandments that simply was at an at a outward level. Jesus, in fact, quite frankly, we can't even keep our own individual moral code. Whatever we have decided that we will live by, we can't even be consistent with that. We are hypocritical even in what we say we do or don't want to do. Jesus, as merely a moral teacher, condemns all of us. But the person in the world says, oh, oh, Jesus, he is a great example. He's a wonderful example. The imitation of Christ, what would Jesus do? I'm not going to take him uh, in, in any other way, but you know, he said some good things, and he was, a, oh, he was a loving person, a very forgiving person, a very noble person. We would do well in our culture if we all lived more like Jesus lived. What would Jesus do? Try it one hour. And you'll utterly fail. Utterly fail. And that's being generous. If you see Jesus as merely a, a, an example to follow, if Christ is merely a teacher and an example to you, he damns you completely. And anybody in your life who thinks that way, they too are damned. We turn him into judgment and eternal condemnation if we regard him in any way except the way that he has been revealed to us. Well, how is that? How has he been revealed to us? He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten or unique Son of God. We cannot follow his teaching or his example on our own. We must be born from above. And to do that, we must believe on the name of the unique Son of God, the obedient faith, the saving faith, we must obey. Anything short of that is inadequate. He who does not believe is already condemned. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the unique Son of God. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 Peter is preaching, and there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. No other name under heaven than the blessed name of our blessed Lord. What does it mean to believe on his name? Well, it means that we believe on his person. We must believe on his believe believe his person. Christ is not merely a man. He's he, he's not like any other religious guru or leader. Christ is not merely a mortal. He's not merely a man. He was God in the flesh. John three and verse thirteen. No one hath ascended up to heaven. But he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. We're not dealing with just anyone. We're dealing with God-man. The Son of God. Not only in his person, but we also believe in his work. 
He came not to do miracles, though he did them. That wasn't the primary reason he was coming, though that in John functions as proof that he can do what he says he can do. And we know that carries throughout all the gospel accounts. Which is easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven or arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you will know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. It wasn't just to heal the physical body. for There were many that he did not get to heal. It wasn't to draw great crowds and to have accolades. Remember, very early in his ministry, he has the whole town come out and they cannot find him. He had had this great, amazing day of teaching and and doing what he did. And his popularity is rising in this area and they cannot find him. And they finally go out and he's out in the wilderness and he's praying And they come to him and they say, Jesus, what are you doing out here? I mean, you've got the whole place. This is going like gangbusters. Everything is going so great. It's just amazing. If this happened to us, if this happened to you or or us or the congregation where we worship normally, we would be so excited. We've got the whole town here. This would be amazing. On a Monday night, we don't have a seat in the house. Jesus wasn't here for that. What does Jesus say at that point? He says, I'm not here for that. I've got to go on and keep preaching. His work. In verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why did he come? That is why he came. 1 John 4 and 9, God's love has been made known in us by this that he has sent his unique son into the world that we might live through him. Love is in this, not that we have loved God, but that he himself loved us and sent his son as the propitiation, as the atoning sacrifice, as the offering for our sins. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If your view of Christ and God is anything short of this, Christ most definitely becomes your condemnation. Last deduction we'll make tonight. Our relationship to him and our attitude toward him here and now will determine our eternal destiny. Our relationship to him, our attitude toward him, right here, right now, in this realm, in this world, in this time, will determine our eternal destiny. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is, listen, condemned already condemned already. I can't think of two words that sound more tragic when put together than those. Our condemnation isn't postponed until the great day of judgment. Our condemnation is not put off. In fact, again, verse 36, we're already under it. 
It's already decided today. It's already been decided in this world. Matthew 25 indicates something so very interesting. I don't know how uh, tightly we can hold on to this idea, but for the purpose of this sermon, I want to at least present this idea that it is interesting to me that when Jesus comes with his holy angels, What will he do? He will separate the sheep from the goats. He already knows who is who. You came in here tonight. You may look the part. You may act the part. But only God knows the heart. And God knows even tonight whose are his and whose are not. On the great day of judgment, no one will be given a second opportunity Condemned already. Condemned already. When you leave this world, your everlasting destination has already been determined by the decisions that you make here. Someone could be holding your hand, watching you take your last breath, your last mortal breath, holding your hand as you transition, and before you know that that person is dead, That person, that soul, will already know where it will spend eternity. Condemned already. And what a tragic way to end a sermon. On a Monday night, after a long day of work, condemned already, and I'm very thankful we don't have to end it that way, because if that is true, most certainly... Thank God, praise God, the antithesis, the antithesis is also true. If you do believe upon the name of God's unique Son, you are saved already. That's good news. You can believe now. You can obey now. You can repent now. You can confess Jesus as Lord and Christ now. You can be immersed now. You can go on your way rejoicing now. And now, why tarriest thou, arise and be immersed and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, already, both sides of the coin are true. Condemned already, saved already. And what's it going to be with you? The choice is yours. Today is the day of salvation. We're still drawing a mortal breath. It is evening, but this evening can be the evening of your salvation if you'll just believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. Trust and obey. That's saving faith. Trust and obey. Would you come and repent? Would you come and confess? Would you come and put him on in baptism. Wash away your sins. Make him your Lord and Savior. Would you do that right now? While today is still called today. Saved. Already. Right now. While we stand and while we sing.
Thank you for another lesson, John. We appreciate those thoughts tonight. We'll be led in closing prayer tonight by Brother Glenn Chipman in just a moment. I wanted to ask each and every one of you as you're here tonight listening to this lesson and these words uh, John has uh, presented to us, think of someone in your family or your friends, your circle of friends that you can pray for that has not yet obeyed the gospel. Just pray for someone. I think that would mean a lot uh, to you and your soul. It would mean a lot to the Lord. But just keep in mind, there's many who need the gospel, many precious souls. So thank you for that message, John. And uh, one more song, and then we'll be led in prayer. Number 671. 671. Lord, make me a servant. Lord, make me like you. go to God in prayer. Merciful Father, as we come before you this evening in prayer, we ask, O Lord, that you humble us in your presence, but you reassure us with your Holy Spirit. Father, we know for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that we can stand before you boldly and proclaim you as the God, the Creator, the Heavenly Father, the Abba Father. You are not only our Father, but you are our Daddy God. Father, we ask that you help us each here 
Rejoice in one another. Rejoice in the Holy Spirit, the gift you've given us all. Father, help us not to underestimate that power and help us to rejoice in it and revel in it and find pure joy in the Holy Spirit in all of our lives as we mutually share that together. We thank you so much for Brother John, his wife, and his daughter coming among us and sharing our fellowship together. We pray that through the continuation of this week that we might continue to grow and that we might continue to learn those things that you would have us to do in your service and in your kingdom. Father, it is a privilege and an honor to serve in your kingdom, to be a part of your family for an eternity. Dear Lord, we pray that you be with Tom and Meg as they continue here with us. Be with our elders and all that they do for us and our deacons, our servants who serve us many times unknowingly, uh, so many things they do along with our other members who quietly and modestly serve in your kingdom. Dear God, continue to humble us, continue to, to help us to grow in the spirit and understanding of your beautiful kingdom. We pray that we close this meeting tonight, Father, that we go in peace with one another and with the love of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.